following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. Do you know it? And can you sing it? Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Wow! Wow! That's, that's an incredible sanctified hokey pokey. But I realized that its theology is sound. I had no idea what it meant when I first heard it. And I was confused since I knew the Bible clearly taught that it was Jacob that had all the sons. So, who are the sons of Abraham? Well, Paul's going to answer that question. If you're new with us, please open your Bibles to the book of Galatians and take your outline and follow along. Paul writes the Galatians in chapter 3. Abraham becomes a major focus. It's interesting, there are these false teachers that are kind of teaching an errant gospel. Not kind of, they are. In the Galatian churches, and Abraham is the Judaizer, the false teachers, they're evidence that those who want to be pursuing salvation must be circumcised. That They're using Abraham as evidence, evidence of that. For Paul, though, Abraham is proof that those wanting salvation comes by faith alone. Paul is fighting for the gospel, the gospel that is by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. False teachers made their way into the churches of the Galatia region, which is modern-day Turkey, and Paul had planted these churches and then came back from his first journey, and these men immediately showed up and began to mess with these baby Christians, and they were teaching these baby Christians that they needed to embrace the customs, the laws, the, the rituals, the ceremonies, and the diet of first century Judaism. In fact, they taught that salvation in Christ had necessary works if you were going to be saved. The Judaizers were Jewish false teachers, particularly from Jerusalem itself. They still believed that they had to maintain all their Jewish ceremonies, traditions, and diet. They said they believed in Christ, but in order to be saved, you had to become Jewish. And so they're really pressing that issue, and they would use Abraham as evidence that you had to be circumcised first before you could actually be a born-again Christian. They believed that until a Gentile was circumcised, they had no right to call Abraham their father, or to call God his father, or even to consider themselves saved in any form, for that matter. So now, in chapter 3 of Galatians, Paul turns his discussion to Abraham. And at first, it seems kind of a strange link to what we just talked about last week in verses 1 through 5, but really, Paul is countering the claims of these false teachers who say, hey, it's great that you have faith in Christ, but now, to become and remain acceptable to God, you need to live like a Jew, so where's my halva, you know, kind of thing. The father of the Jews is Abraham, he's the first Jew, and the people of Israel began when God promised this ancient ancestor that he would make his descendants into a great nation. That nation would then reach the other nations. They would be abundantly blessed and they would live in a promised land. 
All that came to Abraham. Interesting enough, here Paul calls Abraham as a witness in his case in defending the correct gospel. And so to these Gentile Christians in Galatia, Paul says, you know, when you consider Abraham, who's the first Jew, you actually discover that just how verse 1, if you look back at verse 1, bewitched you all have actually become by these errant teachers when you really look at Abraham. Because when you look at Abraham, you see a man who was not under God's law yet. And a man who was not circumcised yet. In fact, in verse 6, it says, Abraham what? Believed God, and it was what? Credited him as righteousness. Reckoned him as righteousness. Abraham was saved by faith. By faith. And what is most important about Abraham is that he is a man, verse 9, of faith. Abraham, the believer. And Paul is saying this father, founder of the Jewish people would agree with me, Paul, that salvation, true salvation, has always been by what? Faith. Faith. A belief. In order to break their verse 1 spell, Paul had to win the contest on their turf. So he goes to the Old Testament because that's what the Judaizers are saying. Look, the Old Testament is teaching something different. And he's going, no, 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 no. The Old Testament tells you that salvation is by faith. And the New Testament, it tells you that salvation is by faith. Salvation has always been by what? Faith. That's right. Always. The Judaizers, interesting enough, uh, their false gospel had so strongly emphasized Moses as the preeminent Jew and the Mosaic Law as the model of religion that Paul's undefeatable arguments had to include evidence and accurate exegesis from the Old Testament. So that's what he's going to do in these verses and as we continue on in chapter 3. Sadly, when the Judaizers looked at Abraham, they only saw the mark of salvation for a Jew, which was circumcision. They missed the means of salvation, which is what? Faith. Earlier, it's actually faith. So Paul reaches even farther back in Jewish history before Moses to Abraham, the first Hebrew patriarch. And he shows from Abraham's life the very father of the Jewish nation that he himself has been saved by grace through faith, not by keeping the law, not by being circumcised. You know what Paul's facing. Again, he's just returned and all of a sudden, these Judaizers, these false teachers, have descended on these churches within weeks. And they're teaching, you got to become a Jew first in order to be saved. So Paul fires off his first New Testament-inspired letter, which is the book of what? Galatians. Thank you for that muddled response. <laughs> the very first letter that Paul writes is the book of? Yeah, we're studying it. Isn't that great? Are we good nights on the New Testament survey? Okay, thanks. So understand, strongly affirm that salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. Now you need this passage today as much as I do because this passage is clearly explaining that salvation by grace through faith has always been the way that anyone has been ever saved. Anybody in the Old Testament was saved by faith. Anybody in the New Testament was saved by faith. Since Genesis 3, Old Testament, New Testament, that's the only way anyone could ever be saved. So sometimes we get warped in our thinking. We think, well, they, they came by law back then, and now we're by faith. No, it's always been by faith. Always. Always been that way. Secondly, you need this passage to embrace that living by faith is how you please the Lord. 
Right now, as you function, as you leave here and you go out in your homes and you, you know, get on with life again, understand it will be as you live by faith that brings glory to God. That as you're trusting Him and depending on Him, that will glorify God. We are to live by faith in order to glorify God. You need to recognize how faith immediately makes you a part of a very special family. Very unique family. Every religion on the planet is works-oriented. Only Christianity is faith-oriented, belief-oriented, that God has done the work on our behalf and we trust in His work. Get it? That's what He's called to us to. You need this passage because you need to fathom how faith can completely cleanse and forgive by saving even the worst person in this room. Whoever you are, you can be saved by faith, by grace, in Christ. Are you getting it? Yeah. And then you need to be freed from trying to perform for Christ. There's so many of us who have been saved by faith and we begin to drift into works. Saying, if I, if I don't toe the line here, God's going to be mad at me when he actually is affirming that when you're in his family, you're in his family. Uh, can I put it to you bluntly? You're stuck. You're stuck. He's not going to let go of you. He's going to keep working on you. He's going to do whatever is necessary to conform you to the image of Christ. But understand, you're in. So, let's read out loud verses 6 through 9. Remember that Abraham proves that salvation has always been by faith. I want you to read 6, 7, 8, and 9 from your outline so we can read it together. Here we go, everybody. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. Undoubtedly, the Apostle Paul has so much to say about Abraham in Galatians 3 and 4 because the Judaizers, the false teachers, made such a big deal about Abraham. They claimed that Father Abraham and his, all his children belonged to God not by faith alone, but by works of the law. And especially through the mark of salvation, they considered circumcision. So additionally, not only are they misunderstanding the gospel, but they're misunderstanding the entire Old Testament. They missed it. And so therefore, Paul refutes their performance-based version of Christianity by going back to the Hebrew Old Testament Scriptures. He's going to prove it for, to you from the Old Testament, quoting it here in the New Testament. So verses 6 through 9, Paul uses Abraham as proof, verification that salvation is through faith, and he clarifies the Old Testament salvation. Point number one in your outline, and every point today starts with the letter D, I don't know how that happens, but then if you would, number one, pursue demonstrating faith. Pursue demonstrating faith. Look at what he says in verse 6. He starts with, even so, Abraham, what? Believed God. He, he begins by quoting Genesis 15, 6, and where Abraham's response to the promise of a coming heir with innumerable descendants, I'm confident you're picking up what I'm putting down here, because what happens here is the importance of quoting specific Old Testament verses to prove that the Judaizers are incorrect. The Judaizers would quote Genesis 17, where Abraham is demonstrated the mark of salvation, the mark of being a Jew, which was circumcision, but Paul went back even further to Genesis 15 to God's promise of a child. 
a coming heir. And who was that heir? His name was Isaac. So here, Abraham is told he'll have a son in his old age, and frankly, that's hard to believe. All right? Come on, you've got to put yourself in that situation. Even prior to Genesis 15, God made a lot of promises to Abraham. Did he not? He promised him in Genesis 12 that Abraham would have a land. <clears throat> and at this point, Abraham doesn't even own a piece of property. <clears throat> and now God promised Abraham an heir, and Abraham still doesn't have what? Any children. And Abraham wasn't getting any younger. He's pushing right now at this point 100 years old. Now, my cute wife and I went to Starbucks the other day and we met a 94-year-old man who could barely walk. Okay? There is a lovely lady in our church. You might meet her. She comes every once in a while with her, her children. She is at Faith Bible Church. Are you ready for this? 104 years old. No kidding! Every time I see her, I'm like, wow. <laughs> now, when you think about that, Think about Abraham fathering a son at that age. My answer is, I don't think so, okay? Understand, to show Abraham what God had in mind, God took Abraham outside, showed him the stars, and said in Genesis 15, 5, look now toward the heavens, count the stars if you're able to count them, and he said to him, so shall your, what? Descendants be. Are you feeling it? What God promised to Abraham is impossible, it's impossible. Yet Abraham believed that God would make it so. He did. In fact, Abraham embraced God's promise the way that every God-given promise should be enfolded and enveloped as a guaranteed truth. When you hear a promise from God, it is a guaranteed truth. Can I hear an amen to that? Come on, I know sometimes you doubt it, but it is a guaranteed fact. In fact, just as the scripture says in Genesis 15, 6, he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as what? Righteousness. Abraham, old, childless, believed God would keep his word and to do as God promised. In other words, Abraham responded to God's word with simple, dependent faith. It wasn't just merely intellectual. His will was engaged, but he was trusting. He was leaning on God, going, I know this will come to pass. Now, how did he demonstrate faith? How should you? He believed, even though his situation was impossible, having a son in his old age. I, you know, I thought, how am I applying this? Maybe how are you applying this? Are, are you exercising faith over our country, believing that God is still in control while our country declines? Are you demonstrating faith over your children, even though one, two, or three of them have walked away from the faith? Are you displaying faith in the midst of failing health or a strained relationship? We need to trust God in his word, do we not? And lean on his promises. The Judaizers turned to Genesis, again, 17, and said, you must be circumcised to be saved. To be related to Abraham, to be saved by the one true God, you must be circumcised, they would say. Paul steps into the plate, finishes the game with a grand slam, this argument. How does he do it? He looks back 14 years earlier from Genesis 17, 14 years earlier in Abraham's life, 14 years before God required his people to be circumcised, 14 years before circumcision was even discussed, that was the moment that Abraham was reckoned righteousness by faith. Are you getting it? 14 years earlier. Like Babe Ruth pointing to the bleachers saying, I'm going to hit a grand slam. Paul points to Abraham and that promise of the heir 14 years before circumcision was even on the table and says basically, you're saved by faith. Bam! Are you getting it? 
He just wipes them out. And for all you law lovers, do you realize that it was 400 years later, after Abraham, that was saved by faith alone, that the law was given to Moses. So it's 14 years before circumcision, it's 400 years before the law even came to play, that the Judaizers are pumping. you got to be circumcised. you got to keep the law. And it's like, way, way before that, Abraham was reckoned righteous by what? Faith. Say it, by what? Faith. Salvation is the same in the Old Testament as it is in the New Testament. Just like Abraham was saved, sinners are only reckoned righteous by God's graciousness through faith alone. That's one. Two, depend on faith as the path to imputed righteousness. Depend on faith. Look at verse 6 again. It says, Even so Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Abraham, the first Hebrew not justified by keeping the law, but by faith. Again, 14 years had passed before God even instituted circumcision in Genesis 17. Moses wouldn't receive the law for another 400 years later. So Abraham did not find favor with God as a result of his personal devotion or law-keeping or circumcision or hard work or zeal, but by grace through what? Faith alone. Apart from anything Abraham had done, apart from anything Abraham would do, God declared him righteous. Righteous. Wow. Now the Greek word that is used here in verse 6, reckoned, is from a word meaning to be declared or accounted. It's an accounting term describing money that was being received and counted as payment towards some end. Uh, the English word credited would be a good word that might actually give you a better idea. It means the same thing. It's to confer, confer a status on something that was not there before. Uh, anybody ever lease to buy something? Uh, you, you lease to buy a car? Uh, it means your rental payments that you were making can be used to purchase the car if you later choose to buy it. The moment that that lease-to-buy decision is made, your rental payments are then credited to you as car payments. Uh, a new status is confirmed on those rental payments. Now they become what? Car payments. Uh, maybe that's a weak illustration, but there you go. What does it mean that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness? It means that faith in God's Word, faith in God, faith in God's promises results in righteousness. Now, all of us here, if we believe that God exists and that we owe Him our obedience and our worship, then out of that heart will flow righteous living. It just will. But here, we got something more. We have something unique. We actually have here in this text something counterintuitive, all right? It doesn't fit. Faith, this is faith counted as righteousness. Say it again, faith counted as righteousness. When the Bible tells us that God credits Abraham's faith as righteous, listen, it means that God is treating Abraham as if he were living a perfect, sinless, righteous life. Are you getting it? Now, is Abraham perfect and sinless? Yes or no? No, but he is credited righteousness as if he were. Douglas Moo 
tells us as he examines this text in Genesis and in here in Galatians and in Romans, he says when we compare other verses with the same grammatical construction used in Genesis 15.6, the clear conclusion is this. The crediting of Abraham's faith as righteousness means, ready, to account to Abraham a righteousness that does not inherently belong to him. This is very good news, people. Some of you are sitting there going, oh, he's preaching, there he goes, okay. Listen, this is very important to you. When God credits righteousness, he is conferring a legal status to you. He treats you as actually righteous, understand, and free from condemnation, even though you are still actually unrighteous in your heart and in your behavior. He considers you righteous even though you are unrighteous. Is anybody here unrighteous? Can I see your hands? Yeah, that's good news. When I read that, I just went, did a happy dance because I know who I am before God and yet I am credited, what? Righteousness. He looks at me and he sees Jesus. Ooh. Little tingles go up your spine, I hope. Understand, this is great news. You're justified. This flies in the face of all traditional religion. Which tells you that either you're living righteous and therefore acceptable to God, or you're living unrighteously and therefore unacceptable or you know, unavailable or separate from God. But Paul and Abraham are proving that it is possible to be loved and accepted by God while we ourselves are sinful and imperfect. Is that good news or what? That's great news. When a person receives credited righteousness, he or she is still ungodly. Justification or the justified status is not given to them because they achieved a certain level of obedience. They achieved a certain level of worship or euphoria. You don't clean up your life in order to receive credited righteousness. <laughs> okay? Rather, you receive it while you are still a sinner. In your bank account, what God gives you is the righteousness of Christ. Now in your bank account. So when God looks at you, He looks at who? Your bank account. You have His righteousness. Not yours. Not yours ever, but the perfect righteousness of Christ. This is shocking. Shocking truth about Abraham is that he was justified before he did any works. Before he did anything. Romans chapter 4 verse 3 repeats the same truth. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham was justified not as a worker, but as a believer. Faith was the instrumentality of his justification. Abraham did not have to get circumcised. He didn't have to obey laws. For circumcised 14 years later, laws 400 years later. He didn't have to follow rituals. He didn't have to arrive at sinless. He didn't even have to attend Faith Bible Church. Understand... To be justified, this is a slam dunk for Paul against the Judaizers. He's wiping them out. God counted Abraham righteous before he even heard of circumcision. Let me say it again. God counted Abraham righteous before he even heard of circumcision. The great patriarch was justified, saved, forgiven, made righteous, while he was still, write it down, an uncircumcised Chaldean. He's, even a, he's not even a Jew yet. Are you getting this? This is really good for the Galatians. Because they're going, wait, Abraham's our guy. He's a Gentile, we're a Gentile. It's only by faith that you can be reckoned righteous before God. 
Come on. A little smile? Okay. You, you go, I want to be forgiven? You are in Christ. You are. You're made right. If you are genuinely in Christ, you walk out the door, you get out on the street, the semi-truck flattens you out. You're going in His presence. I don't care what bad day it was. You didn't have your coffee. You yelled at the kids. You are still under His righteousness, not your own. Are you getting this? He accepts you not on the basis of what you did, but on the basis of what? What He did. Are you getting it? That's so vital that you understand that. And by the way, start every day that way. Start every day remembering what Christ has done for you. It will change your day. Number three, discover that faith alone immerses you into God's family. Uh, Discover that faith alone immerses you into God's family. Understand this. Get this. Abraham's justified as a Gentile. That made him the perfect example for the Galatians who've been wrestling with two major questions, which was what? Whom does God accept and on what basis? And for the answer to that, Paul took Abraham's history and applied it to their situation. Look what he says in verse 7. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. Oh, I love this. This made the Judaizers mad. Okay, look what he says. Be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Why does it make the Judaizers mad? Because they're going, Abraham's our guy. We're the sons of Abraham. Paul picked up that vocabulary and slapped him with it. That's what verse 7 is. It's a slap. Declaring this, the only real children of Abraham are those who believe. Grammatically, let me tell you what verse 7 means in the original language. If it was translated exactly, verse 7 would read this. The ones of faith, these are the sons of Abraham. Don't you love that? The ones of faith, these are the sons of Abraham. All who believe and only those who believe are the children of Abraham. Membership in Abraham's family, the father Abraham, got it, is not hereditary. Abraham's true sons and daughters are not the people who keep the law. It's only the people who live and depend by faith. If Abraham was justified by faith, then his true children must be justified by faith as well. Therefore, we will never become children of God By what we do, only by what we believe. Let me say it again. We only become children of God by what we, not by what we do, but by what we believe. What must we believe? Well, do you discern the object of Abraham's faith in this text? Simply, Abraham put his trust in God. Look back at verse 6. It says, Abraham believed who? What's it say in verse 6? Abraham believed who? God. And this was credited to him as righteousness. What Abraham believed was not simply God's promises, which he could hardly believe, but God himself. Abraham puts his faith in the God who made him the promise. And when Abraham didn't know where he was going, he believed God would get him there. He trusted God to guide him. When he didn't have any children, Abraham believed God would make good on his promise. And against all hope and beyond all doubt, Abraham committed his entire life to his God. Romans chapter 4, verses 20, 21, and 22. Take a look at it. It's a great passage. 
It says, No distrust made Abraham waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith and he what? Gave glory to God, being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Therefore, his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. Listen, if you're going to become a child of Abraham, if therefore you're going to become a child of God, you must put your faith in God alone. In God alone. No cap. Okay? You must trust the God who keeps every promise He has ever made and believe Him. You trust Him for guidance, that believing that He'll show you which way to go. You trust Him for providence, believing He'll take care of whatever you need and what is best. You trust Him for deliverance, believing He'll bring you through those times of trial that you're going through. You trust Him for everything, just as Abraham did, but most of all, you trust Him for salvation through His Son. Abraham looked forward to the cross. Everyone in the Old Testament looked forward to the cross. What do we look? We look back to the cross. We look back to that moment. Understand, and now that God the Son has come into the world, our faith in God is to embrace the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. This is how God accomplished salvation. To have faith is to believe in the good news of the cross and the empty tomb. It is to accept what the Bible says about the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is to trust that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and was raised from the dead to give us eternal life. Can I hear an amen? That's what he did. To have faith like Abraham is to be saved by God's provision, not your performance. Not your performance. Listen to this. All Jews who have no faith in Christ, are not true sons of Abraham. According to this passage. Nor of God. All Gentiles who have faith in Christ are true sons of Abraham and true sons of God. That's what the Bible teaches. In fact, number four in your outline, discern that faith justifies even the Gentiles. Discern that faith justifies even the Gentiles. Now, let me give you a little history. Maybe you don't know this, maybe you do. But long ago, humanity refused to obey God. That's so common. And so God judged humanity by confusing their languages. Remember that? Confused their languages. Now this confusion of languages, most of us don't go down that road. So I want to go down the road with you just very briefly. When you confuse the language, and now I don't speak your language, right? That creates people groups. Those people groups become nations. And those nations now are unique and different. It's not one humanity. We have these people groups, and most likely at that time of confusion of languages was probably the, the creation of races. Probably. We're not for sure, but probably. But because the Lord is so gracious, He determined that how are we, now are we going to reach all these people who now speak all these different languages and all these different nations and all these different people groups. What He determined to do was incredible. He decided, I'm going to get one nation... And I'm going to bless that nation so much that they're going to now reach out to all the other nations and dispense the knowledge which would lead to faith in God, in Yahweh. Right? So that's what he did. Genesis 11, are ready? Come on, stay with me, is the tower judgment. And so now all these nations have been created. What does he do in Genesis 12? He says, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a nation that will then bless what? All the nations. That's the point. That's the point. Part of Abraham's call 
from Genesis 12 is now repeated here in verses 8 and 9. Take a look at verses 8 and 9. The Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be, what? Blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. True faith is not just for Abraham and the Galatians, but for each one of you. In verse 6, what we've looked at already, Paul proved that justification by faith was God's plan for Abraham. Verse 7, he showed that the people like the Galatians could become Abraham's children by the same faith. And now in verses 8 and 9, Paul proves that justification by faith alone has always been God's plan for all people everywhere in three different ways. What three ways? I'm so glad you asked. First in your outline, Abraham embraced justification by faith. He embraced it. Now look what he says in verse 8. This is creative and classic. The scripture, which is alive and living, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Gospel. Everybody know what gospel means? What's it mean? What's it mean? Good news. And the good news to mankind has always been a salvation that God provided that then you receive by faith. That's what makes it good news. Again, one more time. Please get this. What makes it good news? God did the work. God did the work. You're not trying to work your way to heaven. God provided the way. You just believe him by faith. Are you tracking with me? That is so vital that you get that. Salvation by works is not good news. Why? Because you're always sweating. Am I going to be perfect enough? And am I good enough? Did I make enough sacrifices? And how are you going to please a perfect God? And the answer to that is, you're not going to. Nobody can make it on their own. So Paul teaches the Scripture. Look what he says, verse 8. The Scripture, the Bible, actually proclaims the Gospel. It's living and active. It's, it's God's Word. It's God's written Word. And the Scripture preaches the Gospel from the very beginning. From the very beginning. All the way back to Genesis chapter 3, right? In Genesis 3.15, you have the, in Latin, Proto-Evangelium, which means first Gospel. First Gospel. When Adam and Eve fell into sin, God immediately shared the only way that they could be justified, and that was through the seed of the woman. He's telling them that they're going to have to put their hope in that. They were the first to hear it, and Abraham also understood the good news. Abraham didn't know Christ by name, but Abraham believed God that he would forgive his sins and grant him eternal life. He knew that. He knew that. We clearly know that Abraham was aware of this process by his actions and when he has and was called to sacrifice his son Isaac on Mount Moriah. Remember that? Isaac said, hey dad, uh, <clears throat> that, that life looks pretty sharp there. Um, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? <laughs> uh, where is that? And Abraham said he believed that God would provide an atoning sacrifice, which God did, a ram caught in a thicket, and they sacrificed that. He offered that. We know that Abraham had faith in the resurrection as he told the young men who traveled with him to Moriah, hey, we will go, Isaac and I, and go worship, and we, both of us, will come back again to you. You say, Chris, that's a little thin. No, Hebrews eleven nineteen reminds us that Abraham believed that God is able even to raise someone from the dead. So Abraham knew that. And verse 8 here makes it really clear that Abraham knew that God's 
living word in Genesis 12 that the Gentiles would also be able to respond to justification by faith. He knew that. In fact, in Abraham's call, God was obvious that the Gentiles, these other nations, just created at the Tower of Judgment, confusing their languages, probably creating different races, can all now be saved, can all now believe in the one true God and find gracious salvation by faith, not works. He knew that. And Paul makes it clear that those who are not a part of Abraham's offspring, these other nations, these Gentiles who are not Jews, can respond to the good news of justification by faith. How does he make it known? How does he make that clear? He basically tells us, secondly in your outline, the Gentiles can be justified just like Abraham. The Gentiles can be justified just like Abraham. Look at verse 8. It says, all the nations will be what? Blessed. Blessed in you. All the nations means Jews and Gentiles. Can be justified and blessed for the same reason Abraham was justified and blessed. And what was the reason Abraham was justified and blessed? The answer is, what's the one word? Faith. This quotation takes us further back in Abraham's story to the very first promise that God ever made to him in Genesis 12. I will make you a great nation, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the people groups that have just been created at the tower. All these peoples, these families. From the very beginning, Israel was called to be a witness to the nation. Did you know that? That was their job. That was to dispense the knowledge which leads to faith. That was their job in the Old Testament. Did they do a good job? Not really. You know what the church's job is? To dispense the knowledge which leads to faith. How we doing? Mm. Look at Psalm 67. I love this passage. Take a look at it. It says this. It's a great prayer. May God be gracious to us, Israel, and bless us, Israel, and make His face, God's face, to shine upon us, Israel. Selah, think about that. I want you to bless us, God. I want you to bless us. Why? Verse 2. That your way may be what? Known upon the earth and your saving power among the nations. God is to bless us so that we can what? Dispense the knowledge that leads to faith. Make Him known. God created all the nations of the world by confusing their languages in Genesis 11, and His plan was to create a nation that would dispense the knowledge which leads to faith, Genesis 12, and that was Abraham, and that is the forefather of the Jewish nation. All the nations will be blessed by, through Abraham. To be blessed means to be the recipient of all of the divine love, grace, and mercy God bestows on those who are in Christ. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, we looked at it last week, it's all the heavenly blessings, all the things that God has given us. John MacArthur explains salvation blessing in this manner, bringing clarity to this passage. He says this, quote, When Gentiles are saved, they are saved as what? Gentiles. <clears throat> Just as Jews are saved as Jews. Uh, but no one from either group is saved or not saved due to their racial or ethnic identity. Those who are saved are saved because of their faith, and those who are lost are lost because of their what? Unbelief. A Gentile has absolutely no advantage in becoming a Jew before he becomes a Christian. In fact, by expecting a salvation through the rite of circumcision or keeping the law, a person, whether Jew or Gentile, nullifies the grace of God 
and declares, in effect, that Christ died needlessly. End quote. Isn't that great? So through the people of Israel, the offspring of Abraham, the nations, were supposed to hear the message of justification by faith. That same calling, that same command, are you ready? Come on, hang on, falls on you, Christian, and us as a church. We are to be about, that's not the only reason why we're left here on planet Earth. It's not. We're to be conformed to the image of Christ. God is accomplishing His glory. But one of the reasons that you are here is to share with others the message of the gospel. Can I hear an amen to that? That's why you're here. Thank you for that. Understand, Jesus said in Matthew 28, Go therefore and make disciples of who? All the nations. Does that sound familiar to you? That's our mission. And that's why Paul went to Galatia. That's why he proclaimed the gospel of justification by faith to people in the Galatia region. Why should we share the gospel? Thirdly, in your outline, all who of faith are blessed the same way as Abraham. All who are of faith are blessed the same way as Abraham. Verse 9 summarizes what Paul has been teaching up to this point. Look what he says in verse 9. He says, so then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. I love that. I go, why did he say that? Then I studied it and went, wow. This verse speaks of a common blessing. You're blessed with Abraham so that all his blessings become your blessings. When you respond in faith, you become the object of blessing. God promises to Abraham, all those promises are now your promises. Abraham becomes your brother as well as your father. Sons and daughters of Abraham. Father Abraham. Yeah, don't sing it. That's okay. You music people are like, let's jump in. Paul even calls him Abraham. Look at it at the very end, verse 9. The believer. Some say faithful Abraham. I think it's better to say Abraham the believer. I think that's a good translation. Calvin says this expression, Abraham the believer, is emphatic. They are blessed not because of Abraham's circumcision. They're blessed or entitled to boast of the works of the law. They're, they're, not, they're not blessed because they're Jews or Hebrews, nor relying on their own worthiness or excellence. I'm modifying Calvin here. But they're blessed with Abraham, who by faith alone obtained the blessing. For no personal quality is here taken into account, but faith alone. Abraham the believer. Why is Abraham blessed? Because he had faith. There's not one ounce of difference between the gospel that Paul preached to the Gentiles in the New Testament than the gospel that God preached to Abraham in the Old Testament. The blessing bestowed on Abraham of being counted righteous on the basis of faith in the Lord is the blessing now bestowed on every one of you who has turned to Christ by grace through faith alone. Listen, maybe you're not a believer here today. Understand, the point is, is we didn't earn it. There's nobody in this room, not one single Christian who ever earns their salvation. Can I hear an amen to that? They weren't good enough. They finally realized they'll never be good enough. And they cried out for mercy. They cried out for grace. They cried out for forgiveness. And in His goodness and His love, He cracked through their hard heart, awakened them to the reality that only Christ could satisfy, only Christ could save. And they 
gave their lives to him. They, they put their trust in his work, that Jesus is the God-man who became a man, who died on, the, on our behalf, who suffered and took the punishment that we deserve for our sin on the cross, rose from the dead, and when we put our confidence in him, he justifies us. He reckons us what? Righteousness. Our sin falls on Christ. His righteousness then is credited to our account, covers us, and now we stand right before the Lord. Isn't that incredible? Don't get, don't get, ah, don't get bored with that. Don't, don't just go, yeah, yeah, I get it. Let that drive you moment by moment, day by day. Let it be the treasure. Not one of us deserves that. Can I hear an amen? I mean, to the nth degree, we don't deserve it. And yet he gave it to us. Abraham came to salvation by faith alone and lived by faith alone. There's another way to live. You say, what is it? For the answer to that, you got to come back next week. But take this home. Ready? Letter A. Turn to the Scripture for the answers on truth and error. You know what? Paul turned to Genesis 15. He turned to Genesis 12. And he said, there's the answer. He went to the Scripture. Listen, there's got to be, and I, I mean this symbolically, an open Bible at your home. It's got to, it can't just be filed away and ready for next Sunday. It's got to be there so when you're dealing with anything with your kids, anything with your spouse, anything in life circumstantially, you're going to this book to find your answers. The Scripture loudly proclaimed the Gospel. The Scripture is alive and living. It is God's living and active Word. It needs to be a part of your life Monday through Saturday. you got to get there. It doesn't have to be literally an open book, but it's got to be the book that you open. Letter B. Letter B, are you ready? Glorify God by living by faith. You want to glorify God? Look what it says in Romans chapter 4, verse 20. Abraham did not waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in faith. And what did that do? It gave what? Glory to God. When we trust Him, when, when you say to your husband, no honey, we got you know, to trust the Lord, that glorifies God. When you say to your spouse and your kids, no, we're, we're going we're gonna to do what God says because God's promises are true, that glorifies God. When you begin to orchestrate your workplace as, so that you could be a biblical witness, when you begin to go to school, students, and you can say, I'm going to do what Jesus wants, that glorifies Him. You're trusting in Him. That brings Him glory. When you don't trust God, when you don't trust His Word, you're kind of taking a shot at God and maligning His character. Look at, look at 1 John 5.10. It says, the one who does not believe God has made him a what? A liar. In other words, when you doubt God, you make him look bad. So no matter what you face, when you doubt, you worry, you fear, you're telling the world, really you're telling them, my God can't be trusted. Now, I know some of you need to start your day with a cup of coffee before three brain cells comes on. I get it. Some people wake up and they're like, good morning, Lord. And some people wake up and go, good Lord, it's morning. Okay, so understand. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when the synapses are working, you're saying, Lord, I want to do things your way. I want to trust your word. I'm going to trust your promises. I'm going to remember what you did for me. Honestly, I'm telling you, one of the first things that's got to be on the forefront of your mind every single morning is that Jesus Christ died for me. He made this possible. He forgave me. He accomplished this. Nothing that I did. 
and, and that I can live my life knowing that He accomplished my salvation, that I am secure in Him, that I am the recipient of His promises. We desperately need that every single day. Maintain your intimacy with Christ. You know, go through, make sure you're praying. Make sure you're studying the Word. You're looking at the Word. You're even just reading a paragraph if necessary. You're interconnected to God's people so that your relationship with Him becomes the driving force. To live is what? Christ. Letter C. Living by faith frees you from performance. Listen, when you're trying to earn your salvation, when you're trying to, to, to please Him by your works, attempting to be saved by works leads to incredible anxiety and insecurity because you never know if it's good enough. You never know if you've arrived. This will make you oversensitive to criticism. It'll make you intimidated by others who outshine you. It makes you nervous and timid because you're unaware of where you stand. It also may make you swaggering and boastful because you're trying to compensate and convince yourself that you're really you know, where you stand. Either way, you live by a sense of curse and condemnation. Listen, Living by the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf day by day, you free you from performance. I'm, I'm forgiven. I'm cleansed day by day. The more you live under that reality, understand what God did and that everything He did to save you, forgiving you, cleansing you, forgiving you from every sin, past, present, and future, that all has been paid, you'll be freed to live by grace and not performance. And letter D, have you come to Christ by faith? Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Wait, you put your stuff away. <laughs> Who are the sons of Abraham? You are! If you turn to Christ by faith, if you exchange all that you are for all that He is, if you believe that Christ died for your sins, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, if you come to an end of yourself, hate your sin, and cry out to Christ to cleanse you and forgive you, if you believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one shall come to the Father except through Him, and if you believe that when He changes you and saves you and justifies you, He transforms you into a born-again believer with a new heart that desires to follow Him. It all comes by what? Faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would truly work in our midst in such a way that we would live by faith. We would trust you by faith. And that we would walk by faith. We pray, Father, that you would be pleased with how we respond to your word. That we would worship you by offering more confidence uh, by offering more trust, more faith. Father, not that we work it up, but Father, we just put our hope in You. And in putting our hope in You, we will grow in faith. We pray, Father, that You would be pleased with, again, how we respond to You. We'll give You all the praise for what You'll do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. 
It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.